I'm not very good at coming up with good, good witty insults. And then every time I try, then they just come out too mean. <laughs> like, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. And then I'm like, you should die. <laughs> Wait. Oh, that's, that's probably too far, right? Is that part of the game? <laughs> From Gimlet Media, this is Surprisingly Awesome. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Rachel Ward. And this week, our topic is... Follow-ups. Follow-ups. We are going back to a bunch of shows we did, and we have these open loops. We have these questions. We have these things that we want to follow up on. So that's what this show is. We've gotten a lot of emails and tweets and notes on Facebook, and just my dad often coming after us, wanting more information about something. So we wanted to get you guys some answers to some of your more burning questions. So Rachel, can you tell the listeners what exactly are we going to talk about today? Yeah, we're going to hit a bunch of stuff. So we're going to take a flight with some cool pigeons. Uh, what else are we going to do? We're going uh, to hear some of the Gimlet janks that people submitted to us. And uh, we're also going to learn about trilobites. Yes, trilobites. So, Rachel, you may remember mm-hmm. that one of our first episodes was about concrete. Yes. And in the beginning of that episode, I very briefly started telling Adam McKay and our special guest, Lala Anthony, about concrete's special relationship to trilobites. Long before there were any earth-dwelling creatures, all living things lived in the water. And one of the most abundant things was this ancient kind of creature known as a trilobite. You know those things that kind of look like a horseshoe crab? There were lots of different varieties, but they all had these shells made of calcium. I'm starting to get a little bored. I'm going to be oh, honest. Really? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. really? Okay. That's good to know. Lala, how are you holding up? I, I, I started running the lines for my audition later. Oh, my yeah. Yeah. Okay. I started yeah. talking, but I lost you with the trilobites. Okay. Okay, so this moment right here, this may have been the single most unpopular decision that we have made on the entire show. We cut trilobites out of the episode, and then we got dozens of emails from people demanding to know more about trilobites. So a really typical type of correspondence comes from, uh, I think this person's name is pronounced Nico, Nico Cortez. So Nico Cortez tweeted at us almost immediately after we released the episode uh, this. At Surprising Show, I would still like to know how hashtag trilobites are related to hashtag concrete. (laughs) I definitely think hashtag concrete is probably like a top five hashtag for me. (laughs) Trending topics. So I wanted to go investigate trilobites, and I happen to know... An expert on trilobites. All right, Ashley, we're going this way. Trilobite. We're going to see. Ash, we're going to go meet a... Scientist. So, Ash, as regular listeners to the show will know, is my four-year-old son, and he loves trilobites. In fact, he has told us many times that he wants to be a paleontologist. He loves dinosaurs, but he also loves trilobites. And... I believe the reason he loves trilobites is because I was talking about them when we were doing the concrete show, and then I showed him some pictures on YouTube. And so I took him to the American Museum of Natural History. And just to get the trilobite party started, I brought along with me these little trilobite toys I had bought on the internet. But we're on the the internet. What's the word? Eat day? Eat 
Day. Eat day. Come on, Ashy. Ash, this is a secret part of the museum. No one else gets to come here. Why? Because it's not for the public. We took the elevator up another floor to a place I'd never been before through some secret doors, and it's exactly what you think the back rooms of the American Museum of Natural History might look like. Just office after office filled with bones and microscopes, and we walked a long, long way. And we ended up in the offices of Dr. Melanie Hopkins. She's the assistant curator of invertebrate paleontology at the museum, and she is a big fan of trilobites. These are mostly just pieces down here. Uh, Oh, actually, I can show you some fun stuff. I just need to go grab the keys. Now, I've heard trilobite and trilobite. I've heard both as well. I personally say trilobite, but I think it's whatever you personally prefer. I prefer trilobite. Well, there you go. Me too. Tomato, tomato. Now I call them trilobites because the one trilobite scientist I've ever met calls them trilobites. And just a quick refresher for those of you who don't remember your high school biology. There are these kind of weird, large, bug-like looking things with big exoskeletons and lots and lots of legs that lived in the water back when everything alive lived in the water. Is there anything alive today that's descendant from trilobites? No, they're entirely extinct. Is there a chance that one day someone's going to find under the bottom of a weird lake in a remote area a living trilobite? I guess I can't say it's impossible, but it's really, really unlikely. You know, as far as the fossil record goes, they went extinct 250 million years ago. And if they hadn't gone extinct at that time, we would have found them somewhere in the fossil record since then. Makes me sad. Although they had a really good run, right? They did, yes. Yeah. Ash, you had a bunch of questions about trilobites, and now's your chance. Can you tell if they have eyes? If trilobites have eyes? They do have eyes. They actually have compound eyes, uh, similar to what insects have. So the eye is made up of a bunch of little lenses. But the trilobite eye was very unique, actually, because all of those lenses were made of calcite, a mineral. And then, Ash, you had another question this morning about trilobites. How do they walk? Uh, They had many, many pairs of legs. Under each one of these segments was a pair of legs. And they would walk in a similar way as centipedes and millipedes do. Wow. What I really want to know, how do they eat? How do trilobites eat? So the right behind this plate on the back is where the mouth was. So, like... Like so under their chin, kind yeah, of? so underneath, and they had a bunch of legs right there. And the base of the legs has little spines on it. And they would kind of mash up whatever they were eating and then stuff it in their mouth. So wh- when do trilobites appear in the history of life? So the trilobites first show up around 520 million years ago. So this is way before dinosaurs. Yes. Way before mammals. Yes. Way before... Flowers. Yes. And so at, at their peak, how, are trilobites the dominant life form? They appear to be. The fossil record 
in this respect might be a little deceiving because every time an individual molted, that exoskeleton had the potential to be preserved. So each individual actually contributes many fossils, potentially. So there might be one trilobite <laughs> who lived for 250 million years and just kept um, molting. You can't prove that's not true. Yes, you can, <laughs> easily. <laughs> but it could have been like six. <laughs> so the big question. Why was I talking about trilobites on a show about concrete? What do these weird, spiny, exoskeleton-y animals have to do with the foundation of the house I live in? Well, to make concrete, you need cement. And to make cement, you need limestone. Limestones used for making cement do often contain um, trilobites. But they also contain a lot of other shelly material, too. It can be any number of fossils, piles of basically broken bits of shells. But that includes, I mean, which includes trilobites, which uh, the exoskeleton was impregnated with um, calcium carbonate, um, but also a lot of yeah. other fossils like brachiopods, corals. Sorry, one second. Let's ask the doctor. <laughs> I do like that Ash is constantly injecting his opinion into the paleontological conversation. Right. So, just to explain, when you see a concrete wall, when you see a concrete floor, here's what happened. Over hundreds of millions of years, they died, they fell to the bottom of the ocean, they were pressed together, crushed together through the force of gravity, through earthquakes, etc. And that became the layer of limestone that exists all sorts of places all over the world. Today, we dig up that limestone, put it in these huge furnaces, heat it up to thousands of degrees, and it cracks it, creates a chemical process that creates this remarkable material called cement. It turns this powdery substance into instant rock. So every concrete wall you see, every concrete floor, that is hundreds of millions of years in the making. Trilobite graveyard. Trilobite. Graveyard. No. <laughs> <laughs> the trilobites live again. Oh, that's a nice redeeming narrative, Adam. It's good. That's good. The trilobites live again. So for our episode about insults... We introduce the idea of janks. And janks are essentially insult jokes. So snaps, yo mama jokes, disses. And then we ask people to make up janks about Gimlet. And I thought the best person to read some of these Gimlet janks on air would be Mr. Gimlet himself. Alex Bloomberg. All right, so what we wanted to do with you today was mm -hmm. to have you read some of the janks that our listeners sent us. Okay. So we asked people in the episode to use the hashtag Gimlet Janks. Yes. Did any of these, like, organically, like, come through to you? No, I saw them, yeah. How did that make you feel? They were very hurtful to me. <laughs> <laughs> and you can still use that hashtag. Uh, we can't stop you. Hashtag Gimlet Janks. <laughs> yes. So here you go. All right, all right, ready? Uh, Jeremy Hool. Hule? Not sure. Adam yeah. Davidson's mom is so fat, Neil deGrasse Tyson declared her a planet, and she's now the real-life planet money. <laughs> I think that one's good. Very specific. That one would also apply to you. Planet money, jank, could also be used on you. Right. And for the record, I've met both of your mothers, and that is not accurate. <laughs> right. Neither Take of them. That, Jeremy. <laughs> 
Trit McTritface said, at Surprising Show, your breath is so bad, I could smell it through your podcast. (laughs) All right. These are specific to the company that you, Alex Bloomberg, founded. Okay. These are the ones about Gimlet. I'm ready. Uh, Mike Smith writes, Gimlet Media is so weak, I question if it's only lime juice. Oh, I see. Right. Referencing the mixed, the cocktail, the Gimlet, which is made of gin or vodka and lime juice. And so now he's wondering if it's just lime juice. Uh, yeah, I get it. That's a thinker. That's a thinker. Uh, Tim Chambers, you are really not so much of a has-been, but more of a definite won't-be. Ooh, just in the hard, cold, you suck. Well, so we thought, like, I don't want you to stay in that place. Mm-hmm. So we thought that a way to maybe bring your spirits back up after this would be... Uh-oh. To do a follow-up on our free throws episode. Okay. Let's go play basketball. Are you serious? Yeah. All right. <laughs> oh, my God. There's somebody outside. <laughs> Kaylee's <laughs> out with the handheld mic. Seamless transition. Here we go. Wow, you guys really planned this, didn't you? Um, All right. <laughs> I wear my shorts and everything. <laughs> this way. The best part of my day so far. I want to bounce the ball, but there's no bouncing inside. <laughs> Is that a rule of basketball? It's a rule that I yes. My son would somehow find out. Find out. All right. All right. So I'm giving Christine, our new associate producer, my phone, okay. so she can time you. All right. And you've got a minute to shoot as many free throws as you can. Quickly before you do this, can you tell us what your basketball experience is? For there was a period of like about maybe two decades where there was always a basketball in the trunk of my car and I would always play every day. Okay, let's go. Ready? Go. Um, the basketball has bounced over the fence into a garden that does not belong to us. I would maybe describe it as just a trash pit. I prefer to think of it as a garden. Oh, we got it back. Right. So what, where are we? Five seconds. Four, three, two, uh, one. Five out of like 10 is horrible. It's a horrible, horrible free throw rate. You want to just play a little longer? Yeah. Coming up after the break, we answer a very urgent question. Is your mattress killing you tonight on the 6 o'clock news? Welcome back from Gimlet Media. This is Surprisingly Awesome. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Rachel Ward. And this is our very special follow-up show. Right. And we're looking back at open issues from previous shows. And for me, one of the best ones was the episode about mattresses, because in that episode, my mattress buying strategy was totally vindicated. And we concluded that if you get a mattress that costs between 800 and 1500 bucks, you're fine. That's a good mattress. And several people wrote in to say, no, that's not true, because many mattresses, particularly these new foam mattresses, are impregnated with chemicals to make them flame retardant, and that is killing us. 
Googling flame retardant mattresses cancer, you can be pretty well convinced of any position you want. There's a very vocal view out there in the internet that they are killing us. There's a very strong view. No, they're not. And you and I realize we don't have the expertise. So we have decided right now, this is a a very special Gimlet moment. We're going to hand our show over to Gimlet's soon-to-be newest show. Science Versus. So this is the this is the theme music for Science Versus. This is a new Gimlet show that's going to be coming out on July 28th. And we have with us in studio the host of Science Versus, the show that pits facts against everything else, Wendy Zuckerman. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming and helping solve this problem for us. My very first question is, is this the first time you are on a Gimlet show that human beings are hearing? Yes, I think so. This is exciting. It yeah. is exciting. So as I understand the question... These foam mattresses that um, are increasingly popular are impregnated with, is it formaldehyde? They're impregnated, I like that, uh, (laughs) with a whole bunch of chemicals. One chemical that has been studied a little bit, not necessarily in mattress form, is formaldehyde, though. And that, I will say, having kind of went into the hole of of reading websites that tell me that my mattress is killing me. Formaldehyde is the one that comes up the most. They tell us formaldehyde is going to give you cancer. So what do we know? So when we look at the studies on formaldehyde, uh, you find that, because you can't do the perfect study, right? If you if you wanted to really find out whether particular chemicals in a mattress were killing people, We'd have to, like, build a little town for them in Idaho or whatever and make sure that we feed them, these people, the same food for maybe 50 years, send them to the same schools because there's obviously, like, furniture and formaldehyde in schools. And we want to track them. And then after 50 years, we want to find out who has cancer and who doesn't. And surprise, surprise, the ethics approval for setting up a little mattress town in Idaho is very, very difficult. (laughs) So this study has not been conducted. There have been studies done in in lab rats and in guinea pigs and things like that. So we can set up little mattress towns in in labs uh, <gasps> with tiny mattress tiny <laughs> tiny rat mattresses. <laughs> well, they don't do they more like set up formaldehyde chambers so they give, Oh, that's terrible. Uh, no, I was imagining there was a tiny mattress manufactured to the same specifications as humans, about the size of a sponge. And then there's a mouse, and he's wearing a nightgown and a nightcap. <laughs> no, unfortunately, uh, in um, the study that I read, there was no little nightcap mentioned, but you never know. But they do they do sort of, so in one study, the one I've got right here, um, they expose these, these rats to, to different levels of formaldehyde, low, medium, high, and then they follow them for several weeks, which in a rat's lifetime is pretty significant. And when you do this, you find that if you give rats the highest dose of formaldehyde and they've been smelling this for quite some time, they have an increased risk of nasal cancer. But, of course, a rat is very different. One of the big problems in this case is that rats can only breathe, they need to breathe with their nose, whereas humans can, like, alternate between mouth and nose. And so that means in in terms of, like, formaldehyde, it means that these guys are, like, constantly, if you give them, like, a dose of formaldehyde, they have to take it up all through their nose. We, like, at night, we might, like, breathe through our nose, we might breathe through our mouth, we might, like, mix up the dosage. Plus, you still leave the room. So these rats were, like, living it, pretty much. Whereas we would still, like, go outside and go to the park and then we would not have our formaldehyde dose. 
So it's like, it's really hard to be translating this stuff. And when you say increased risk, was it one of these things where it goes from 0.01 to 0.013, or is it a significant risk? It, it, it was actually quite significant. So it was it was 18% of the of the rats who were exposed to the high dose got nasal cancer. I'm going to be honest with you, Wendy. You're freaking me out a little bit. Like, you're, like, you're like thinking about your mattress and all, and you're, you're no, not no, going to get not, nose cancer. I, no, 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 I tell I you, if in 50 years you get nasal cancer, like I will eat my hat yeah. on radio. Right. I will eat She's my hat. wearing a hat. I mean, I, <laughs> I do have... I'll put on a hat and then I'll eat the hat. Yeah. The way to avoid this, Adam, is to not build a home out of mattresses <laughs> and spend all of your time in it breathing <laughs> through your nose. <laughs> And you have to keep in mind, this study, I really should emphasize, was conducted in 1980. And science moves slowly, but it doesn't move that slowly. So if formaldehyde in the doses we are getting it was a big problem, it would have been picked up by science. And and you also have to keep in mind that the levels of formaldehyde and all of the chemicals in your mattress do get emitted when you first buy it, but that will drop over time. So it's not like with this rat study where they just kept giving these rats the same dose of formaldehyde over and over again. I mean, this is the thing. People have this assumption that if if something is bad in high doses, then it is going to inevitably be bad in small doses. But there is a very high chance that, like, people, you breathe in the formaldehyde and it's, like, in these doses that are fine and your body just, like, deals with it. So, like, that is where the scientific knowledge is at. It's not good in high doses for rodents. But what we do know is really bad is smoking, drinking too much, and eating crappy food. It's not big mattress that's <laughs> killing us at the moment. Like, let's let's sort out the big ones. <laughs> All right. So if I can summarize, put this way down on your list of worries. I think that's fair. Go out, take a walk, take a jog. Absolutely. Put the put the fries down. <laughs> Absolutely. Put the cigarette down, which also has formaldehyde in it, by the way. <laughs> and is your show could it just be called Calm Down Hippies? <laughs> Because one of the first episodes is on organic food. Um, I think it's calmed down everyone. Wendy Zuckerman's new Gimlet show, Science Versus, debuts on July 28th. In addition to organic food, they're going to take a look at fracking and the G-spot. Hey, Rachel. Someone else is here. Who are you? Um, I'm Kalila Holt. I've been helping you produce the last several episodes of Surprisingly Awesome. And one of the tasks that we gave you was to be the keeper of the email address I told you so at gimletmedia.com. And in the course of that role, you have been listening to voice memos that people sent us? I have. Um, so I, I picked picked a couple of my faves. Okay. What do you have for me? The first one that really got my attention is from McCall. Okay. This is from when she was in high school. My best friend was dating this boy, and they were dating for about a month. And every day that they were dating, I was just like, I hate him. He's a jerk. Dump him. Surprise, surprise. The guy is terrible. <laughs> the friend, like, called McCall one night in tears. Turns out he'd been cheating on her the whole time with this other girl at our school and blah, 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 blah. 
and she was really upset, and I was snickering. So the next day at school, McCall's friend's like a total wreck. Her face is all like puffy from crying. And McCall, like a a bratty high schooler, (sighs) makes her a funfetti cake. And in frosting on the top of the cake, I had written, I told you so. Oh, McCall. Oh, girl. That's kind of a dick move. I know. She doesn't sound, like, super proud of, like, she's not telling it to us, like, check out this amazing thing I did. No, but she doesn't sound remorseful either. <laughs> I'm, I feel like everyone is kind of a brat in high school, so I'm willing to cut her a little bit of slack. But yeah. What should I write on a cake for you? You're the best. Great style. <laughs> <laughs> I love your Twitter. <laughs> I love your Twitter. <laughs> At Kalila Holt. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you want to hear the next story? Yes. Um, I think the one about the person in their pants was my favorite. I told you if you didn't pull over, I was going to in my pants. But right. this is, like, my second favorite. Right. This one I like because it's, like, it's really, like, spooky. It's, like, kind of creepy. Oh, my but, God. But, like, it's, I don't know. I was just really into it. Ooh. Um, okay, so this is... I'm excited. Um, Valerie. My fiancé had a very painful and very drawn-out separation with his previous partner, and they had been together for about 14 years. She couldn't accept that they were separating. She lived halfway across the country uh, when they finally split. So when Valerie started seeing this guy, she was like, this other woman's like threatened you in the past. She's like threatened to kill herself. I know it's painful to think of someone that way when you had loved them for so long, but you need to change the locks on the door. And the guy didn't do it. Oh my God. Because he like just couldn't bring himself to do it. A few months later, we got home one night and walked in to discover that the apartment was trashed. Uh, most everything was destroyed. All of his clothes were cut up, uh, and her hair was on the kitchen counter and in our bed. <gasps> her ha- She cut her hair in their house? That's so creepy. Yeah. Oh it's, my like, God. very spooky. Did Valerie actually say, I told you She so? did, yeah. <laughs> Which is, like, a bold move. Like, I don't think I would say it. Valor- Valerie is, like, grown-up McCall. She's yeah. like, I don't care if the circumstances don't dictate it. I'm going to do me. <laughs> I mean, she does sound very regretful in the message, which is why I think it's like kind of a curveball that she's like. I didn't like saying it, but I turned to him and I said, I told you so. I love how people are always like, I didn't like saying it. It's like, you didn't have to. <laughs> um, well, Kaylee, these were amazing. And thank you for curating them for us. Of course. Thank you for having me in the studio. Oh, anytime. Just kidding. I'm always here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not on mic. <laughs> So, Adam, when we were doing the episode about pigeons, there was one story that I really, really wanted to do, but uh, because of some boring logistic stuff that is not important, I was not able to get it reported in time to get into the episode. So I thought, oh, perfect, the follow-ups episode. But I was on another deadline because the thing that I wanted to do was ending. <laughs> 
So on the very last night that I could participate in it, I went down to the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Okay, so what's happening right now is that um, Meredith Johnson, she is a curator. She's leading me up onto a boat to see a show. And it's a light show. And the star of this light show has also been the star of our show. And this is the Baylander, which is a uh, helicopter aircraft carrier that was built around World War II. And we were lucky enough to get it to convert it into a uh, the biggest and best pigeon aircraft carrier in the country. And now the ship is a launching pad and it's a temporary home to the 2,000 pigeons that have LED lights strapped to their ankles that make up this performance fly by night. So this is the aviary side of the coops? This is a Kitty Joe St. Marie. She is the project manager. She helped build the set and train the performers for tonight's show. They have like you know, the best real estate in New York, in my opinion, the waterfront, looking at the Williamsburg Bridge is beautiful. We fly them during civil twilight. Tell me about civil twilight. (laughs) There's three levels of twilight. It's like civil twilight, nautical twilight, and then astronomical twilight, and then it's night. Um, Civil twilight is when the sun has already gone down, but um, you can still see without the aid of artificial light. As nautical twilight comes in, that's when you have to turn on your lights on boats. So there's still light in the sky, but it is darker. What's astronomical twilight? I don't know. It's the one before night, and it's, it's just darker. For the record, astronomical twilight is when the sun dips between 12 and 18 degrees below the horizon. At the end of astronomical twilight, the sky is completely dark and celestial bodies start to appear. But this show is it civil twilight, so it's still light out about an hour before the show begins when the pigeon handlers walk up and down the decks of the boat, opening coops, shooing the birds out. Tell me what's happening in the sky right now. So right now, uh, we've let two coops of birds out and they're just joyriding, really. They're just flying for fun. That was amazing. (laughs) Pretty magical. (laughs) So after a few minutes of just like swooping overhead of us, the birds are settling in on the roof of the boat and they're just waiting to perform like actors in the wings. You know, I wanted them to fit in really well with the aircraft carrier and sort of look like they were always here sort of make it look like maybe the, the pigeons walked into a recruiting station drunk and, you know, and woke up here with a hangover and a buzz cut or something, you know. Duke Riley is the artist uh, behind this whole project. It's his head that all of these boats and pigeons and LED lights sprung out of. He is covered in tattoos, but he also loves animals. Actually, Kitty Joe showed me a tattoo that she has on her shoulder of Mr. Squirrel. It's apparently a squirrel that they nursed back to health And then he gave her a tattoo of it. He also gave her a pigeon on her forearm. You know, I think it started when I was a kid. I I found a a pigeon that uh, I rescued and took care of and eventually it got better and I let it go and it kept coming back. I was always just sort of conscious of pigeons and thinking about them as being these other sort of creatures out there that were struggling to survive in the city uh, as I was. You know, even if I was in kind of like, you know, a compromised living situation and 
might be living in a place where I didn't actually have running water or something like that, or I may still have like a small coop with a couple birds. I was flying out of a bedroom window, and then for a while I was flying out of a bathroom window, and you know, it was just always like one of these things that you were kind of doing on the, on the sneak. The show begins when Kitty Joe rings this old-timey school bell. Which is the signal for Duke and the trainers to get up on the roof and um, start signaling the birds. They get up there and you hear a call, which Duke makes, which I describe to the volunteers as kind of a cross between a cowboy and a hawk. And the birds start to fly overhead. Like a lot of them will fly in like one kind of funneling circular cloud, but then there'll be some that'll shoot way up high and um, some like some so high that you can't really tell like, is that a star? Is that a pigeon up there? Those ones end up really looking like shooting stars and then some kind of look like fireworks. And then five minutes before the end of the show, I'm gonna turn the lights on in the coops and open the shutters and the birds will just start flying into the little light holes. Then I'll ring the school bell. And Duke will start whistling for the birds to come down. We also play this one uh, kind of dance hall reggae song by Sister Nancy called Pigeon Rock. And the birds always know that that means dinner time. Once they hear that song, they know it's definitely like time to come down. Most of them hang out on the roof for a while afterwards and get into uh, you know various uh, sexual scenarios. After that, pretty much they all come down and uh, and uh, you know take it easy for the rest of the night. And that's the show. Surprisingly awesome theme song is by Nicholas Bertel, normally, but this is, of course, Pigeon Rock by Sister Nancy. Our ad music is by Build Buildings. We were edited this week by Annie Rose Strasser. Hey, I want to welcome our newest member of the staff, Christine Driscoll, our new associate producer. Welcome, Christine. And I want to say with sadness that we are losing Kalila Holt. We're not losing her very far. She's going to stay at Gimlet working on the new Jonathan Goldstein show. But we will miss working with her and the fabulous work she did on this show. So goodbye, Kalila. I do want to thank Elizabeth Kulas, who has also been new to the team and helping out enormously, and Bridge Ward. I always want to thank you. Andrew Dunn mixed the episode, and Ricky Novetsky provided production assistance. Additional music for the show came from The Brotherhood. And hey, we're trying an experiment. A lot of you give us really great ideas for the show, but sometimes it's just not quite enough information for us to figure out whether it's a fit for us. So we have created a form that we have linked to on our Facebook page. So if you have an idea for the show, please go there, 
fill out the form. Also, there's another Gimlet show that we love, Reply All. They are looking for a fall intern, and the application deadline is July 13th. So if you are itching to make great stories and you want to join a hardworking creative team, you should apply. You can find out more by going to the website, gimletmedia.com slash careers. And Kalila, you said that was a great internship? Um, I'm not on mic, but... <laughs> yes, it was the best internship ever, and it changed my life. Wow. That's a huge endorsement. Surprisingly Awesome is a production of Gimlet Media. All right. All right, Christine. Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Christine Driscoll, new associate producer. Go. Ring her. What? All right, that's two. experience went to basketball camp once for a week and it was like my only experience being bullied actually and it was because I was so bad so this is really a story of redemption <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> I feel redeemed 